Hello, everyone, and welcome to Speaking of the Arts. Our guest today is Catherine McVicker. In 2014, Catherine founded the boutique agency Music Works International after three decades as an agent developing the touring careers of dozens of artists such as Brad Meldow, Michael Brecker, Wayne Shorter, Ladysmith Black Mombazo, and many others. In 2000, she launched the European touring career of Nora Jones and spent seven years developing Jones's profile internationally. Most recently, Catherine published the online course Anyone Can Book a Gig, which breaks down the core components of what goes into booking shows for independent artists. I recently spoke to Catherine about the course and wanted to share our conversation with everyone so they can learn more about this and where to find it. Independent musicians will find this episode particularly useful. As always, thanks for listening, everyone, and please enjoy my conversation with Catherine McVicker. Catherine, okay. welcome to Speaking of the Arts. Thank you so much for your time and for being here. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you today about the course and the book, Anyone Can Book a Gig. I've had a chance to briefly get familiar with it, and, and it's one of the things that you'll get to talk more about is just for anybody who's just learning about what this is, there's an incredible amount of really wonderful practical information in what you've created. And, and, you know, certainly for someone myself who's been in the industry for a while, I learned some things and I, I can see, well, what I learned is how you organize your thinking around a lot of the core components of um, what goes into successful touring, you know, and that's, it's always good to get a fresh perspective on these things, I think. So yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. I'm pleased to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You bet. So why don't we just kind of start with a couple of basic things here with, uh, with what you created. Maybe to start with, talk a little bit about why you ultimately made this, the course, the book, you know, where, you know, what was the thinking behind that and how did it kind of guide you to putting it out there as it is today? Um, well, thank you so much for having me. As I say, Mike, it's a pleasure to be here and um, I'm glad to talk to the audience, whoever and wherever you may be. Um, you know, I've been an agent for a long time and I started thinking when I started my own company in 2014, I started thinking more and more about what was my actual value as someone in the industry. And uh, especially it, it's ironic that I actually pretty much did most of the work on this course during the pandemic because I started thinking this, I guess my value is my knowledge um, that I've developed over many years of doing this, which is very practical knowledge. Um, and so um, there were two things that spurred this. One thing was that um, I had a lot of artists that used to call me over the years and they would ask me what they should do to expand their careers or build their profiles. And I found myself saying pretty much the same stuff to them all the time. Um, and especially artists that would call me and ask me if they could get on the roster. And um, as you well know, um, you really have to be at a certain level in order for me to really be able to do a lot for you. If you're completely unknown, it's I just can't do that much. Um, and it's really better for you to do it for yourself. So I decided that I would start putting um, some notes down and maybe starting to do a little bit of consultation. And the other thing was that I wanted to make the agency um, 
a more diverse kind of company that it wasn't just dependent on booking shows. I wanted to find other ways to make income for the company. And again, I kept coming back to the idea of maybe the things that I can share with people and, and, and as a musician myself, practical things I can share with people that would help help artists who aren't really able to get agents or managers or other um, professionals involved with them because they're too early in their careers, teach them how to do, the, do it for themselves. So that was one of the things that we did. And we also um, started a kind of a, a complement to that, whereas we have... Uh, we do consulting for people who need uh, a la carte services for marketing and promotion. If you need to have tour posters done, if you need somebody to help you revamp your website or stuff, we have a marvelous marketing director, David Greenberg, who does beautiful work. And so he's also helped artists in that way. So I think artist services and also the information, basic information about the industry is what we created as a, as a resource. Um, for artists. Excellent. So uh, you started to work on it during the pandemic. And then who would you say is the primary audience for the book and the course? And I keep calling it a book, but it's both, right? It's a book and it's an extensive it, online course. It is both. It's an online course. It's a complete online course that is self-directed and self-paced. Anybody can, can do this online. It goes very sequentially through six modules. Um, and it also has a lot of uh, worksheets and samples of things, but we also are creating it into a book and actually having it translated into a couple of languages, um, one to market it in Latin America and the other one in French to market it in Africa. Um, and I think that, um, you know, I think it's, it's, we want to, to offer it to, to basically conservatory and music school students. Um, I think it's a little too much maybe for the average high school student, but we've had graduate students take it. Um, the Jackie McLean, um, the Heart School of Music that was started by Jackie McLean in Connecticut, they bought a license from us. So we designed a package of, um, that included giving access to the course, giving the books to the students so that they could keep it as a reference because the access to the course is like six months, mm -hmm. but you could buy the book if you wanted to keep it for, for future referral. Um, and then consultation and all those kinds of things that we put into a package for them. So I think really our target market are music students or kids who've just gotten out of music school who don't know what their next step is. Absolutely. I've had the chance to um, speak to a couple of music departments and everything I'm seeing and what you developed at the time I wish I had in front of me to kind of, you know, again, organize my thoughts around performing or around booking gigs and stuff, because I, as a music student, didn't get any of that. And right. I don't want to out my former wonderful institution, <laughs> but I didn't get any of that. And I know that that's the reality that um, aside from a couple of the um, schools that music schools that everybody thinks about the Berkeley's of the world's aside from those a lot of students do not get this this really essential information and so when they try to go from the practice room to the club there's a lot of stuff missing that was never given that was never uh, taught to them so I think this is doing a wonderful service to music students everywhere and well, well, thank you. And I think the industry has changed so much, um, Mike, since I was a musician and, and playing out all the time in the 80s and 90s. It's really become a do-it-yourself market now. 
Um, and I think it really gives artists a lot more confidence if they understand a little bit about how to advocate for themselves. What are the terms people talk about? You know, it takes a lot of confidence to be a musician and musicians don't want to uh, portray themselves as not having mastery over this because they think they're going to get taken advantage of in a deal. So if you can get basic concepts down and understand the language, I think you're in a better chance, a better opportunity to um, to advocate for yourself. Absolutely. So I know you pretty well. I know that you have a lot of amazing experience. Um, how does that inform the layout of the course? And I want to be a little more specific. What have you noticed over your career that successful artists, successful touring artists do as opposed to everybody else, right? There's a handful of artists that, you know, they're successful because they're doing A, Y, X, and Z very consistently. And everybody else is not doing a couple of those things. What are some of those things that these successful artists do? And then there's a, the second part of that question is, how did that inform designing some of the course information? I think the biggest, um, when I'm, I actually get asked this question quite a lot, and I think the biggest difference between successful musicians and unsuccessful, depending, everybody has a different degree of to success, but those who are able to progress their careers and those who are not is uh, making a plan. A plan is really important. Um, if you don't make a plan, then how do you know where you're going to go? I also think that it's important to reflect on what is your product? What is your music? If you can't describe what your music is, how are you going to describe it to somebody else or find your audience for that music? So I think that, you know, I start with, I, I've actually launched the careers of a lot of artists who started out in the beginning. And what we started with was to try to figure out where are they at right now? So if, as a musician, if you can figure out where you are right now and write down your experience and understand um, how to describe your music and put your materials together, um, that will describe it to a potential promoter. Um, I think that's a really important thing for people to do. And then I would say, if you have, I, I like to make, you know, a five-year, three-year, one-year plan. What do I want to be doing a year from now? Um, where do I want to play? What would I consider to be um, a success for me? When I was in Boston in the 80s, the big success thing was to get a gig at Riles, you know? So I worked towards trying to get a gig at Riles because that was a real popular um, jazz club in Cambridge. And so I did that. And then I got gigs at the Willow and I got gigs at all of the jazz clubs in town. And for me, I wanted to do something further, I actually basically had to figure out how to support myself playing music. So I made the conscious decision to not do jazz clubs anymore and to and to work for um, for corporate events. So we got very much involved in corporate events. Um, and with the same sophisticated jazz guys, all the guys are faculty at Berkeley played in my band. So we would do, you know, corporate events at like the Museum of fine arts or something, you know? And so that's how we built um, a, a sustainable financial model for us. It's not for everybody, but what I got out of that experience was I had to be able to market what I did and to figure out how to get meeting planners international or corporate clients 
to uh, have confidence in what we were doing and like what we were doing. So we developed relationships with the high-end hotels. I mean, you can do, we call it GB in Boston. You can do GB and play at the VFW hall for $350, or you can put together a sophisticated uh, product and go play at the Ritz-Carlton for $3,000. So I chose the latter. <laughs> and that's what I did. I still did my jazz gigs from time to time, but that wasn't the only thing that I did because I really, my goal was to try to become financially uh, stable. So that's the, the way that I pursued it. Yeah, this resonates with me so, so, so well. Um, the idea that the artist needs to have a plan and that you need to start with a realistic assessment of where things are. A number of years ago, we developed something that we call the artist scorecard, where we have artists break down several key components of their of uh, of their career touring marketing recording um business a couple of key components like that and give themselves an actual score in each one of where they are today and then where they would like to be three months from now or six months from now or three years from now and it's not not all of our artists do it but the ones that do use it do find it helpful and so um yeah, when you said that's one of the things that you like to work with on your artists, that makes total sense to me. And the other thing too, having a plan. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I think I think going back to what you said about it's a very much do-it-yourself environment, that's what makes having a plan even more important because everybody's doing things themselves. It's so easy for an artist to get completely overwhelmed with social media and trying to book the gig and trying to record an album or a track and, and all these things. And um, yeah, I think, I think, again, just to reiterate some of the things that I saw in the course, how practical they are. I hope everybody takes a chance, uh, takes a moment to go to the website. Anybody can book a, a gig.com and look at some of the stuff that we're talking about here because it is very practical. It yeah, absolutely is. I, put the, I put the link in the chat if you want to check it out. So. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll have it in the, uh, we do our little show notes. We'll have it there too. Yeah. Okay. So what has the reaction been like thus far? I know that um, there was a really wonderful write up and downbeat. Have you, has it, um, you mentioned the target audience being college students. Has that pretty much been where it's resonating? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's, um, I think, yeah, I think the people who have taken the course or who have bought the course have been happy with it because they come out with things in their hand. When I used to go and do workshops at different places, the kids would sit there or the students would sit there in the audience and nod their heads. But if they're actually leaving, having gone to an exercise like you talked about with a scorecard or writing down what their experience is so that they can actually write a bio for themselves or they get a template to make a, um, a, uh, a tour history for themselves, all of those kinds of things. I think that actually gives them something that's tangible. Um, I also think that, um, I mean, a lot of musicians don't like business, um, probably because they're either intimidated or they're bored by it. I can, I can attest to being bored by computers, it's not my thing. I mean, they're, they're functional, I have to use them, but I would not be spending a lot of time learning, teaching myself how to code, for example. But the business aspect of it is, is really important to learn because it's a huge business. So you have to think of yourself as a business person, not just as a musician. Your product, you are the business. 
your product is, or, or your music is your product. And so just like any other business, if you were setting up a restaurant, you'd have to create a menu. You have to create a set list. You have to, you know, you have to give people utensils and plates and stuff to be able to eat. Well, you have to give people, you know, you can give them your product, you can give them your CDs, you can give them links, whatever. So you have to, you have to change the mindset to really think about um, all the things that you have to do to set up your own business, which is what you're doing. Yeah. One of the other things I really liked in, in what you developed is the whole section on terminology and making sure you are versed in the actual language of the business, which I thought was so helpful and getting into, and it's been written about many times, but also just having that being well-versed in how to communicate to a promoter and understanding the different types of deals that can be made, but also just getting an understanding of how the promoter is pr approaching this. And I noticed a lot, many times you're, you were constantly highlighting that a successful deal is one where the promoter benefits and the artist benefits. And it really, to the best extent possible, needs to be that way consistently. Because the other big lesson for music students coming out of college who want to get gigs and perform is it is a relationship business. And you're only as good as your last gig and, you're only, and agents are only as good as our last relationship. And it goes hand in hand. So I thought just having a whole section on how to communicate the terminology, again, approaching it from the perspective of the venue or the, um, uh, the promoter, so helpful. And again, it's nothing, I had none of that in college. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? so. Well, you know, and, and you can't, you have to draw, there's a fine line, as you well know, Mike, I work for the artist, I don't work for the promoter. Right. But what we're trying to do is I'm trying to work as an equal, as a partner with the promoter. You know, I'm the other side of the conversation. He wants to present the music. I'm the one who who delivers the product that he can do. So there has to be benefit to both sides, and I think that's the best way. When the when the when the the artists are starting out, they're so unsure about what their value is in the market. Your value is how many tickets you can sell, how many people are going to show up. Um, and I think that you know understanding that it's a temporary business deal that you're doing really is, from my perspective, it's the best way to look at it. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm always amazed, as I'm sure you are, that you can be working with artists, or a new, uh, not a new artist, but a new artist for your company can come to you and half, over, well over half the time, he or she has not, has not been keeping track of the ticket sales, which is their gold. You know, exactly. and it just never, it always amazes me that that's not, I mean, they need, artists need to see that information as essential as their actual music. Here's my music and here's, you know, here's my um, currency in the market. And they that's right. just gets overlooked, you know? And I think so part of it too is- their tour books. They don't even yeah. save their tour books. They can't even remember where they played. That's crazy. Yeah. And I think part of it too is that uh, that there might be some level of embarrassment if the ticket sales aren't super high. And I always try to say, well, no, you need to know where you are at so we can know where we're going. You know, don't worry that it wasn't a sellout and you're not selling out. We will work together to try to get there. And there's like this, there's this like, you know, you almost have to kind of break down that wall and say, don't worry, that's not the point of this. <laughs> you need to just right. know where you're actually at and get comfortable with that and get used to tracking that. So. Exactly, exactly. 
So, and I think that that's really helpful because then you can look at how did I market this? Maybe I'm playing in the wrong place. I mean, another thing that um, just sounds like such an old lady thing to say, but it is really true. When I was an active musician, we didn't have the internet, you know? Um, I mean, until much later, but you have so many more advantages right now to be able to go on the internet and see what your competition is doing, copy what they're doing. You know, you can research venues, you can look at their programming, you can see what their ticket prices are. Um, I remember when I first became um, an agent, a, a professional agent, I made friends with all of the music critics at the major newspapers across the country. And I developed relationships with them so they could tell me about the venues or if there's a new festival coming up or whatever. You have to figure out how do you find this information. Right, absolutely. Again, it's a relationship business. <laughs> well, this might be in the book or in the course, but if it's not, um, could I offer to co-write the companion how to uh, anybody can book a tour? <laughs> ah, well, sure. We can talk about that. Absolutely. Yeah. I just, yeah. I was thinking I would put that out there because um, again, I just love uh, the way this looks online. Everybody needs to go to the website. Anybody can book a gig.com so they can really see how um, friendly the material is, how accessible it is. And more importantly, what they're going to get. You did such a good job of laying it out. I was very impressed. It was really neat. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, is there anything you want to mention about uh, the course that we haven't mentioned? Um, I think that one of the things that um, that I do want to mention is that it isn't just about getting the gig. I mean, that's a big, big thing for people to actually be able to get a gig. But the other thing is you have to make every gig count. So there's a, there is an entire thing. David Greenberg wrote this enormous thing, which could be a course on its own, just about marketing and promotion. And so if you get a gig, you need to make that gig get every single thing out of that gig that you can. So getting the gig is the first step. Then you wanna make sure that you get good promotion out there so that people will come and see you. And so that this gig leads to the next gig. So this is part of what I say about making a plan is that you may, it's always better if you're not sure what you can do, play a small place and get your, you know, and sell that out. And then you can start to move to the larger, the larger places and stuff. So I think getting the gig is the first step. And then from there, you want to try to figure out how to expand to play larger clubs, how to expand, expand regionally. Um, I think the cost of touring is just through the roof. I feel we just, we're launching 17 tours right now. And it's so expensive to fly to Europe this year. It's ridiculous. Tours that we booked back in January and February, I mean, the costs have gone up threefold and it's very hard for people to make money. So I think regional touring um, is a really good goal. And once you've been able to conquer New England, for example, you've played all the places in New England, then start to go down into Connecticut and, um, and New York and maybe even into Pennsylvania and those kinds of things and try to expand your reach um, as you go without having to get on a plane and fly to California. I think those are the kinds of things that we advocate that people do. Yeah, again, going back to the DIY model, marketing promotion, easier to do now than without technology being what it was, but also in some respects harder to do successfully because everybody can do it. Yeah. And I think it, it's helpful for me, and I try to communicate this to my artists, that they have to remember 
90, I would even say 95% of the success of a show happens off the stage. And what is happening, breaking it down before, during, and after, B-D-A, what is happening before the show, during the show, and after the show to make the, sh the, sh the shows a success? <laughs> right. You know? Okay. Um, and again, it's tough. It can be overwhelming because there's so much to do and there's only so much time in a given day. But that's why I'll say it one last time. People have to go to anybody, anyone <laughs> can book a gig.com. Am I starting to sound like a, you know, like a radio head here? <laughs> well, there you go. There yeah. you go. Uh, and we'll throw in a Ginsu knife. No, I'm only kidding. Um, <laughs> the other thing is that um, what I've seen is a shift and um, I, you, I, I'd like to hear your opinion on this, Mike, but I think that in a lot of ways, the agent has become kind of the center of the universe right now, because it used to be it was the manager that was the center of the universe, because back in the days of record deals, when the record companies were really basically determining uh, people's uh, fame or their the, how to build their careers it was the manager that you needed to get to get the record deal and everything flowed from that now I think what most people need is you know that the days of the session musicians are not as plentiful as they used to be and I think that a lot more people need to get on the road and tour and so they need to get gigs that's how they make money now so again I come back to the fact that you know we agents work very hard at what we do and I think that it's kind of like an educated musician who sits in our seat every once in a while gets an understanding of really what we do. Um, and I think that that's, that's another point I would make that's a big change in the industry um, mm. that, we're, that we are really very much in demand in order to help people with their careers now. 100%. I mean, when I have the opportunity to speak at music departments, I'm all, and I know you're always asked the same question, when do I need a manager? When do I need an agent? You know, how do I know? And I, for the last few years, have been telling people, you don't, you don't need either. If you can, you need to invest your money in hiring somebody who is a world-class marketer. That's what you need to do. And you need to obviously make your show be the best show it can possibly be. But don't, for one minute at your stage, worry about an art, an agent or a manager. That's not what needs to happen right now. And right. then I, and I always um, like to make the distinction, or I always like to point out, if you want to think of things digitally for just a second, like Airbnb, you would never book an Airbnb if the photos looked really bad. Right. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because mm, almost 100% of the time now, you as a new artist will be heard and seen for the first time digitally. It's very, very rare that even myself as an agent has the opportunity to see this new artist at the venue before I've heard about them. It's much more likely I'm going to get a link to listen to the music online or the video. So that's why, you know, I really feel like this investment, if you can make it in a marketer or somebody, it doesn't have to be a marketer, but somebody who has digital chops is going to mm -hmm. get you a lot further than anything else, you know? That's right. I would agree with that 100%. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, did you, in the course, did you go into some of the distinctions between managers and agents, or is that? Yeah, I talked a little bit about it. I mean, I think that, um, I, I think I made the point that, you know, people probably need an agent more than they need a manager or um, uh, 
than a manager. I mean, just leave it like that. I mean, because uh, the, the role of the manager has really changed as well. And it's also expensive to have a manager. It's expensive to have a publicist. Um, so, you know, you have to be ready. You have to justify that money. I mean, unless you really have your trust fund kid and you've got endless money, I think that it's really important to look at what you're spending your money on. And is this actually going to make a difference in what I'm trying to get done? And so, again, it comes back to, you know, you have to take more responsibility for your career. Yeah. I think that's very true. I'd be interested to get your perspective for a moment on the role of the manager as when you started out as an agent and how that might have shifted to now. And more specifically, I've always felt like there's a, the role of the manager, if we're just talking about the genre of jazz is a very interesting, if you will, place. <laughs> because I mean, let's be honest, unless you're an artist that is commanding very high fees with a somewhat involved production show and use a lot of moving parts, it doesn't really make sense for the average trio or the average quartet to have a manager as, as for the reasons you're saying. It just doesn't make any sense because the money is already pretty small anyway and you can't afford to take it off there. So I'm just kind of curious, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, was that slightly different or is that still basically the way it's been? Totally different. Yeah, because it's just like I it's like I described when I when I first started as an agent in the late 80s, I mean it was the manager was the center of the universe. Everything came from the manager. They would, um, in fact, I mean, I didn't even really liaise so much with record companies because the manager was the gatekeeper for that. So you basically, you, you saw the artists at the gigs and stuff, but the manager basically controlled the artist's universe if they had a manager. I think now the, the manager, the manager, a manager should always be a combination of having vision and being able to do logistics. These days, I feel most managers are good at logistics, not so great on vision. That's and, been my experience too. And, I'm, and I do work with some managers that I really like, so I don't want to throw them all under the bus, but that's absolutely been my experience as well. Um, and I think it's important for, if we're going back to just the target audience for your course, music students to understand how the role of the record label has shifted as well in their, and how that will or will not play out as a part of their career. There's a right. huge difference now um, for the reasons you just gave. And that I think is why that the manager role is completely shifted. You know, there's just quite frankly, not as many rec jazz record deals going around. <laughs> There aren't, and there's there's a lot of artists that when I first started working with, um, they would get shortfall uh, from the record labels, which means that they would get money given back to them to help support their tour. If they came home and they had no money, the record company would advance them. They didn't give it to them, but they would advance it to them. Most of the time it was recoupable. That doesn't exist anymore, you know? But then on the other hand, you've got uh, Patreon, you've got GoFundMe campaigns, you have a lot of other oppor uh, opportunities in order to, um, to get money and certainly you can put your own records out. Um, there's, a lot, there's a lot more options, but it's a lot more intensive for the artist to get involved. Um, when I say that a lot of the managers don't have a vision, I think it's, I think it's just a different thing now. I think um, there's so many ways that you can go and there's so much content out there. There's so much, 
it's a very complicated industry now, extremely complicated industry. And that's why when we wrote the course, we tried to make it as simple as possible because you can get into it as much as, I mean, just look at where intellectual property rights are now. It used to be that we would, you know, I remember doing, uh, and you probably remember this too, doing broadcast addendums. Well, the genie's out of the bottle because you can record anything on your cell phone. So how are you going to protect somebody from stealing content? You know, it's 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 just a different world now. It's yeah. a totally different world. So I think a manager, a good manager, what makes a manager worthwhile is, first of all, if they can take that administrative burden off your shoulders, take care of your travel, although you can do the same thing by hiring a good road manager, and that's just on a as-needed basis. Uh, but a good a good manager should be the, the, the person who can get people to pick up the phone. Yeah. If I have a manager, if I've got a, a, a blues act and I really want to, and, and, and I'm a good manager, then I'm going to get them to open for, you know, wolf mother or something. We're going to get somebody that's, that's going to really give you profile that you can't do for yourself and maybe your agent can't do for you. So they really have to have um, a different set of skills and a different set of connections than just the, the, the record company. Yeah, it's really hard to remember a time or the time when seeing um, music existed primarily on the stage as opposed to on the computer screen or on your phone. Okay. And the decisions that went behind the strategy to present that artist for the first time in front of people, none of that is really a consideration now because artists for better or worse can broadcast themselves 24 seven. And I feel like there's a, it, I, you know, it's really tough to say if it's good or bad, but it definitely, it definitely informs the presentation for better or for worse. And mm -hmm. I, and I'm just making that point because I would imagine prior to everything being digital, that was a big, fun, a big role of the, of the um, manager. The, you know, how, how are we going to present this artist in front of people and what is the show going to look like? And I, and I'm not saying that's not a consideration anymore because it certainly is. But it's but almost it like there's the no primary consideration then. It was the yeah. only consideration, Connie. Yeah, I yeah. get your point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, another thing I think is a change, um, and this has to do with, you know, um, I think Lady Gaga and the whole age of, of social media is that people aren't necessarily just satisfied to go and see an artist in concert. They want to feel like they that they're part of a, the, the artist's orbit. They want to know more about the artist. They want to find out what they're doing on TikTok. They want to find out, you know, they, they're looking for Instagram and, um, and social media posts all the time. And that's a big difference as well. Um, I tell a lot of artists that, um, it, that they can do so much for themselves by doing kind of one-on-one -on -one things with their audience on social media. And that's another way to build your profile. We did something kind of, um, I've, I felt it was um, kind of an interesting concept during the pandemic. Um, I started two cultural arts networks, one in Africa and one in Latin America uh, three years ago. And the reason being that um, it's really hard to tour in those places um, and do more than like one or two well-paid gigs. So I wanted to figure out how we could make a network to connect people with each other so we could create tours. Well, then the pandemic hit and we couldn't tour anybody. 
But what we did instead was we had the artists make um, videos and we had them include uh, 10, and they were short, they were like 20 minutes of them playing. And then they had 10 minutes where they would talk to the audience and talk about their music and the significance of the music. And we went and we got partners outside of Africa, outside of Latin America, um, like Maury Aronson in Boston at Global Arts and asked him to put that content on his web, on his social media. So these artists from Africa were able to get eyeballs on their music without having to buy visas, without having to travel. And they were able to open, uh, open a new audience for their music that wouldn't have existed without doing things this way. So that's another way of harnessing the digital thing to actually, I, I think it's a really good strategy for an artist to put that stuff out six months before they go on tour so they can build their audience before they actually even get there. So, you know, using those kinds of tools is another way that you can put into your plan and start to try to make things work better, I think. Yeah, that's a really good idea, absolutely. Um, well, I don't wanna take up too much more of your time. This has been really great. And I think we've given a pretty good overview of what the course and the book is all about. Thank you. Yeah. Um, just to close, is there anything else? Uh, we didn't even have a chance to talk about your agency, but is there anything course-wise or agency-wise you want to mention for folks listening? Um, not too much. I think, I think, as I said, when we first started talking, I was like trying to make a, a little different um, twist on the agency because um, I think that putting all your, as we learned during the pandemic, putting all of your resources into the touring market is very risky for a business. I mean, I went through 9-11 as well where we lost all our tours. And there are events that are gonna to continue to happen, whether they're caused by climate change, whether they're caused by terrorism, whether, you know, there's a million things that could happen in the world. So for me, I want to um, open the agency, take the resources we have and deploy them in new ways, not only to create um, revenue for the company, but also to help the, the kind of the music infrastructure or the music ecosystem um, and be a responsible citizen in that way. I will make one comment about jazz that I always say um, is, I think the jazz industry um, and perhaps the world music industry is different than the, is it, one of the big differences about that in the pop world is that um, I think in the pop world, um, people want to hear the same thing they heard on the records. Jazz and world music, by the nature of its genres and its ethic, is always going to be improvisational. So I think that what we give up in terms of the size of the audience for that kind of music, you get back in terms of loyalty, because people want, we want to see, oh, what's he going to play? Or what's she going to play for a solo on this tune tonight? Or, you know, what's the special guest they're going to have? Or, oh, you take someone who's been doing, you know, more kind of, you know, Thelonious Monk kind of material, but now they're getting into doing something that marries that with flamenco. So I think that our industry, to, to a certain degree, the live market for us is a little more insulated. It doesn't earn as much money, but I think it's more consistent and has a longer arc than, you know, the pop music world, which is you're constantly chasing the next thing. And, you know, you go to see, I went to see Steely Dan two years ago or three years ago and want to hear that same solo 
you know, that you heard on the on the uh, on the records that they made back in the 90s. So anyway, I'm hopeful about it. Yeah, that's good. That's a really good point. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for your time. It was really great to see you. Yeah. And, um, I hope I get to see you in person again soon, even later. Yeah, I hope so. And please stay in touch with us. Um, you know, it's musicworksinternational.com and we'd love to hear from your audience. And yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. It's really been a pleasure. My pleasure. Take care. All right. Thank you. Thank you.